How many of you feel like you have a great memory? Obviously, from our memory verse work, I would say zero. So this sermon may not be good for you, I don't know. But did you know there is actually a world championship memory contest every year? It started in 1991. Uh, I've won three, humbly, I tell you that. But these folks are just incredible in in what they can do. There's ten basic categories of things that they compete, and obviously who wins the most or is the highest rated when it's over uh, wins. Now, two of the categories that they do, these are the records in these categories. One is they do a name-face recognition. They get people these people have never seen before, and, and they see in 15 minutes how many faces they can see with the name and then come back and say those people's names. The, the, the world record is 164. Can you imagine meeting 164 people in 15 minutes, hearing their name one time, that's Penny, that's Aunt. Can you imagine that? Hunt, that? That is a tremendous memory. Another thing they do is they take a deck of cards. Now, none of you play cards, I know, but there is 52 cards in there. And they, they take that deck, somebody shuffles them up, and they hand it to a person. And then they look at it and hand it back and say... I can tell you the order. Every card you're fixing to lay out in order, I can tell you what that card is. One person was able to look at a deck of cards in 21.19 seconds and hand it back and spit out 52 cards by memory. That's incredible, isn't it? Thank goodness we don't have to do that for Jesus. Isn't that great? Well, but tonight in 2 Peter 3... Uh, verses 1 through 3, we're going to talk about remembering things for victory. Remembering some things, not necessarily so much memorizing tonight, but bringing them back to mind, getting them in our mind and remembering them, focusing on them to, to have victory in our life. Here's the first thing this passage tells us. Remember to be constantly renewing your mind. Remember to constantly be re-upping, renewing reinvigorating your mind. Romans 12, 2 is a great verse. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There's other, many other passages in scripture that talk about how that when you renew or you change or you up the, gra- the game in your head, how your life will change. I want us to look at two qualities out of this, uh, constantly renewing our mind that we should be doing that will definitely help us. In verse 1, it says, this is the second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. The first part of this is purity. Purity in our mind, purity in our thoughts, purity in our heart. And I'm going to use the word mind and heart, our inner being interchangeably. It's interesting. He begins this, dear friend. Some translations, it says beloved. He had just got finished in chapter 2, if you're with us, really putting it on him pretty good and talking about the false prophets, these evil people, what to watch for. But now he shifts back to his people and he begins, dear friends, people I love. And five times in this chapter, he uses that title with these five times in this one chapter. And he says, I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. The word stimulate is a great biblical word. It means to stir up something. It means to revive it. It means to, to recover life again. He was telling them, and I think he's telling us, look, 
Some of us need a, a spiritual B12 shot, and we probably need it right in our head and right in our heart. And he's saying, I want to revive you to wholesome thinking. The word wholesome is a great biblical word there. It, it means purity. It means the splendor of the sun. It means unsoiled and sincere. It was a word used in Jesus and Paul's day for when one was examining pottery. If they got pottery... What they would do to make sure it didn't have any cracks or flaws in it, on a pretty day, they would hold it up to the sun, and they would look to see if it had any cracks. Also, people who were trying to sell things and scoot it by you would sometimes cover cracks with wax, but they said if you held the pottery up to the sun, you could see the wax there. You could tell if it was pure or not, and he's saying to them, I want your thought life, I want your mental state to be pure, like a piece of pottery that is held up to the sun and, and it, it tests out well. I want you to hold your inner life up to the S-O-N and test out well. Isn't that a neat concept? He says, I want you to be wholesome in your thinking, in your mind, and your understanding. He was telling them and he's telling us, look, your mind, your heart determines where you go. I want you to be pure. You go, well, I've heard this before. He's telling them, you've heard it before. I'm trying to stir you back up and remind you. I, I don't want you to be duplicitous. I don't want you to be full of bitterness. I don't want you to be arrogant. I don't want you to be hateful. I want you to have pure motives and not be a hypocrite, a play actor. Whatever your Achilles heel is tonight, whatever the devil knows he can deal the cards and get you with, the gateway to that is your mind, the mind and your heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, guard your mind, because it is the wellspring of your life. And he tells us here, again in verse 1, I want to refresh your memory, your recall. I want you to constantly be on focus to keep your mind and your heart pure and holy and righteous. But I want to give you a second part of this on constantly renewing our mind, and that's the word positive. I think it goes very well with this, this verse. This is my second letter. In both of them, I've tried to stimulate you, stir you up, revive you to wholesome, clean, pure, sincere, righteous thinking and refresh your memory. Philippians 4.8 is such a great verse. It says, Dear brothers, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right. Okay, we go, well, we're going to fix it on true and right, amen. But look what he says, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Isn't it interesting, the first person to push positive thinking was not Norman Vincent Peale, but it was Jesus Christ. I was reading last night in Psychology Today magazine, and I don't know if this, the author of the article was a Christian or not, but they were talking about depression, and obviously depression can have physical components and other things, but here's what this psychologist said, that when a person starts down the road of depression, a lot of times they're thinking negative things, they're not thinking negative things, and then if they're not careful, they begin to obsess on negative thoughts, negative thoughts, negative thoughts, and then they actually mess up their brain by their negativity. What a thought to renew our mind constantly, to be reminded that you can't, you can't get your mind in the right state tonight and it's done for good. Wouldn't that be great? 
If you could go home tonight and go, I'm going to be pure, holy. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm going to be positive. Shazam, it's done. Wouldn't that be awesome? But it's not true. That's called Fantasy Island. If any of you remember that old show with Tattoo, the little guy and all that? Doesn't mean we deny what's wrong. In fact, what makes it so hard is sometimes we have jobs or we have a life or you're a parent or you're over people where you have to get on people. You have to correct people. You have to look for things that aren't right to make them right. And that's why it's so important, I think, for us to pull back and focus our mind on the good things in life. You know, we uh, preached a few weeks ago on thanking God in prayer. And I'm convinced that one of the things that can help your optimism and help keep your mind where it needs to be is that daily time in prayer when you thank God. I saw this the other day. I don't know where it was, but it says, it says happy people aren't thankful. It's thankful people who are happy. Did you get that? It's not happy people who are thankful. It's thankful people who are happy. And when we spend time thanking God and focusing on what he's done, oh, how that helps us. How that helps us. You know, a lot of the Jewish traditions and their festivals in the Old Testament, we look at those and we go, that's kind of weird, that's kind of strange, but really they were fun. They were celebrations, and they were reminding them, they were taking them back in their mind to what God had done in the past, the celebrating the Passover, how he had spared them from the angel of death and other things, these festivals, bringing them back, reminding them, look, what God's done in the past, God can do today, God can do tomorrow, God can do forever. One of the keys in life to victory is for you and I keeping our mind where it needs to be. Listen, some of us need to start, stop letting our memories abuse us, and we need to let our memories be used by us and God. Amen? Some of you are victims unintentionally or intentionally to your memory. Take a hold of it. You be proactive. You choose to transform your life by constantly keeping your mind on the pure and the positive. Here's the second thing this passage tells us. It says to learn and constantly review the Word of God. Again, he's, he's talking to believers. Most of you here tonight are probably Christians. You may not be. We can fix that in about 15 minutes. But if you are, look in verse 2. And if you're not, look at verse 2. I want you to remember. Again, he's talking. I want you to remember I want you to think back. I I want you to fix this in your mind. I want you to recollect something from the past. That holy prophet, what the holy prophet said long ago, and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. It's interesting here, these terms he uses, the holy prophets, the Lord, the apostles. He's confirming indirectly the full authority of the Bible here. I used to think when it talked about the prophets, what the prophets had written in the Old Testament, that meant Jeremiah, Isaiah, those guys. And it does, but to the Jewish thinking, a prophet was anybody God used to write Scripture. Moses was considered a prophet. Joshua was a prophet. So when he says what the holy prophets are written, he's confirming the whole Old Testament here. And I don't think any of us have struggled with that, the the Lord Jesus Christ, his words. But it's also interesting he throws in, commanded through your apostles. He's confirming. In other words, in this one sentence, he is saying the authority of the whole Bible is what you build your life on. You don't build your life on just the Old Testament or just the New Testament or just the words of Jesus Christ. You build it on the whole Word of God. And so here's what I want to get us to grab a hold of tonight. You want your mind and your heart God-saturated. 
You want your mind and your heart to be God-saturated. Your mind and heart saturated by something. This is how we get it pure. This is how we keep it positive. You want it God-saturated. Listen to these statistics. This is America. Now, these are actually five years old. So I would bet these things have gone down. They have not gone up. In America, it was a Harris poll done several years ago. Americans who believe Jesus is the Son of God, 71%. That's pretty low. You don't go to heaven if you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Americans who believe the resurrection of Jesus, 70%. Americans who believe in the virgin birth, 61%. 40% of Americans don't believe in the virgin birth. You can't have a true Savior if you don't have the virgin birth. Americans who believe in hell, they said 62%. I, I bet that's high. I really do. Americans who believe all or most of the Old Testament is the Word of God, 55%. Here's what's strange. Americans who believe all or most of the New Testament is the Word of God, 54%. More Americans believe the Old Testament is the Word of God than they do the New Testament. And how many Americans go to church weekly? 27%. That's a lie because you're going to stretch it when people ask you those questions, aren't you, on the telephone. How often do you go to church? Oh, we go at least three times a month. Well, really, he meant three times a year, but you, you, you know what I'm saying on that. I just thought those are, that's interesting. Those are fundamental things. And in verse 2, I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago, what our Lord and Savior commanded through the apostles. I read a quote from a a pretty well-known novelist today, and he said, America's struggle is we, we want constant entertainment. If you've got kids or grandkids, you need to have a DVD player in your vehicle, don't you? I'm not talking about if you're going to Florida. I'm talking about if you're going to Super One. And this writer went on to say people change name brands at the drop of the hat. He didn't say this, but it's true. They change churches. They change friends. They change everything without going into any more detail at the drop of the hat because we want to be entertained. And see, that's got into the Christian culture. It was even 2,000 years ago. And I think what he's telling us here. He's bringing us back to, you need to be learning new things from the Bible? Absolutely. Learning more things about God? Absolutely. But a lot of us, we're learning a whole lot more than we're doing. Did you hear me? I don't know if it was Mark Twain. I think it was. We'll we'll say it was him. He's dead, and I don't think we'll be sued. He said, it's not what I don't understand about the Bible that bothers me. It's what I do understand about the Bible that bothers me. It's not the things in Revelation that I can't figure it out. And by the way, you you can't figure that out either. He said, it's what I do understand God's telling me to do and that I don't do that bothers me. Boy, I think that's where we are. I had a pastor friend several years ago came to a new church. He said as he was talking to people, they had small groups. And we, of course, our Sunday School Connects groups are small groups, a little different format. And he had wanted to take the small groups through a, a kind of a, what Rick Warren had done with his church where you, you have a four-week study on the basics of Christianity and then a four-week on more development, a third, you know, kind of the first base, second base, third base, home plate. And he was talking to this person he's about the, we'll start with that four-week study learning about salvation, how to pray, how to read your Bible. And he said the person looked at him and go, well, we're a little bit past that here. 
He said five years later, he said, every time I would think of that person's mind, I would think, oh, how I need to grab them and stick them on first base for about 15 years. What have you outgrown? You outgrown praying? You outgrown reading your Bible? You outgrown loving people? I heard a pastor in Houston one time, someone came up to him and said, Preacher, I wish we'd go deeper. And the pastor said, You know, I'm still struggling with that love thy neighbor thing. You're about as deep as you serve. You're about as deep as you forgive. You're about as deep as you love. And he's saying here in verse 2, I want you to remember what, the, what was said long ago. What is he talking about here? He's certainly probably talking about what the prophet said about judgment and the end of times, what Jesus said about the end of times. Scholars differ about what the Lord, our Savior, commanded through the apostles. Is he talking about simply the end of times? Is he talking about the great commandments, love God and love people? Is he talking about the Sermon on the Mount? I just say I think he's talking about it all. He's talking about it all. And he's telling you and me what we need to do, man, is we need to get our heads and our hearts in our Bibles and our sermons and our lessons. And we need to constantly be learning and reviewing what God has laid out. I heard a preacher say years ago, he said, most of us need to be reminded a lot more than we need to be informed. We need to be brought back to the things that are going to make us or break us. And we need to make sure we're living those things out. You want to help your life, remember and review, learn constantly, live out the Word of God. Let me give you a third thing. You're going to agree with this. Remember that troublesome people always will be with us. Doesn't that make you feel good? Remember that troublesome people will always be with us. By the way, if you read your Bible, that started in Genesis 3. (laughs) And then in Genesis 4, the first couple, you know, I love when people say, my family is dysfunctional, like nobody else's family is dysfunctional. Everybody's family is weird. Do you agree? Go back far enough in yours, I guarantee you, it is. There's some oddballs. And... There's always been troublesome people, but here's a special thing he says to us that I think is so relevant right now in our lives. This is a special type of weirdo. (laughs) They scoff at the Word of God and the things of God. They're scoffers. Isn't that a great word? You're a scoffer. Well, it's not great to call someone that. I'd be called that, but call someone that, it's good to use, I guess. In verse 3, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last day, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Again, he says, I want to remind you three times in three verses. I want to bring it back to your memory. We've talked about this before, but you're forgetting it. You're struggling. You're surprised when people are acting this way. Scoffers will come in the last days. When is the last days, by the way? Is it, did it start at Tim LaHaye's first novel and it ends at his last novel? little inside religious humor, I guess, there. But, you, you know, really, if you turned on some shows tonight, you would think the last time started in 1984. The last day started, the end time started when Jesus came. The, from the, Jesus' death and resurrection to his first coming to the, when he comes again, that's the last days. Did you know that? See, we get confused. We think, well, the Bible's not true because... Jesus was supposed to come back in 1984. Jesus never said that. Some goofy preacher said that. 
And, and you say, well, I thought they've been saying we lived in the last day. We're going to talk about this more next week. Talk about living in the last days. You know, since 1980, the last days is the time from Jesus' life to when he comes back. It's a period, not a decade. So when it's 2,000 years, that's cool. If it's 3,000, that'll, that'll sure blow away a lot of people, but that's what it is. What's well, a scoffer? A scoffer. It's someone who's a mocker, who derides things, who makes fun of things, who belittles things. What's happening here? Well, one of the things that these people, false teachers, but also other people were doing was they were, they were making fun of and denying the second coming of Christ. Why, it had already been 30 years and he hadn't come back yet, right? They need to be in our shoes. It's been 2,000, amen? But they were like, 30 years, he's not coming back, this is baloney. They were making fun of the, the second coming, but I think there's also a deeper point. With the second coming also comes the one who is coming, amen? And when he comes again, the Bible says he's not a baby laid in a cattle feeder. He will be the ruling Lord coming to judge the world, to take his children home and to separate people for eternity. And I think part of the reason these people were mocking and deriding is they just didn't like the idea that someone was telling them they're going to be judged. People don't like that. Have you ever noticed it? I read an article this week in my studies. It was a guy, it was about 1962. It was way before I was born. It really was way before I was born, like a year. And, um, and, and it was a preacher. He was in Norman, Oklahoma, Bible Belt. He went to the University of Oklahoma. And they had an open forum where people could get up and speak. So he got up for 10 minutes and he shared the gospel. 1962, people made fun of him, mocked him, told him he was an idiot. Don't say those. 1962 in the Bible Belt. Why are we surprised at what's going on today? It's very disappointing, but why are we surprised? You say, well, and, and I heard people recently, good Christian people ask me, why do people dislike us as Christians if we're nice and loving and kind? Sometimes we are not nice and loving and kind. Sometimes we're jerks for Jesus. And, and, and listen, and the Bible even says this, if you get beat for being a jerk, don't cry about it. Read that last night. Now, that's kind of my, my paraphrase, but that's true. But why, when you're loving people and you're kind and you're nice and you're pure and you're honest, first of all, that convicts people. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed someone who was just very nice and sweet and kind and somebody didn't like them? Andy, I've shared this before. Andy told me one time, he said, Chris, he had decided years ago that if 90% of the people liked him, that it was a victory. And I said, Andy, if 10% of the people don't like you, they're idiots. But Andy was comfortable with that. And Andy's a nice guy. But I, I want to tell you, too, is when you tell the truth as a Christian, you hold a standard out there people don't like. You can't water it down, and you can't deny it. Well, you can, but I'm talking about if you're going to live for Christ, you can't hide truth and be true to Jesus Christ. And so when you share with people and you say things like, hey, I'm a sinner, so I'm not hammering you, but what you're doing is wrong. That doesn't sit well with a lot of people. It doesn't sit well with our society. Have you ever noticed that? Because here's what's happened. 
If you come to me and you confront me with something that I'm doing that's biblically wrong, I've got three choices. I can say, you were right, and I'm going to change. That's the only good choice. I can say, you're right, but uh, I'm just going to go, you know, I'm going to get it right someday, you know. That's the typical church response, isn't it? Or we can do what a lot of people do. You either got to change your behavior or you got to try to change the rules. Now, before we kick the people outside of the church, let me tell you how we do it in the church, how Christian people do it. You preach on tithing and they go, oh, that's Old Testament. Or we give our money to the boys club. That's good, but that's not a tithe. Or we don't trust that church and so we have to give over here. Join another church if you don't trust your church. Good grief. Are we church attendance? Have you noticed that church attendance has become optional today? <laughs> I'm not talking about people who aren't. I'm talking about people who are Christians. And so when you confront somebody gently and say, you need to be in church, you know, they've got a choice. And a lot of times they're going to have a good excuse and they're going to adjust theology to cover themselves, right? See, you've got a choice you got a choice when you're confronted with truth to either bend to the truth or try to bend the truth to you and attack those who are coming at you. That's what was happening 2,000 years ago. Turn on the news tonight, friend. That's what's happening now. People do not like a standardized, objective truth, a right and a wrong. Why were they hammering them, scoffing at them 2,000 years ago? Because they were saying Jesus is coming back and Jesus is going to judge the world. The lost are going to hell. The saved are going to heaven. You can go to heaven. You have a choice in it. But people do not want to hear that. Don't be surprised when people remember this. It will help you that people are going to attack you, attack our church, attack our Christianity. Remember it. Not because we're evil, but because we're trying to do what's right. Don't lose sight of that. How many of you remember the Alamo? I'm not talking about the car rental place. The, 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 I think we have a picture of it. There's a, the Alamo was actually a Catholic church, and it kind of turned into a fort. Uh, and I'm going to jump ahead, and then we'll go back to the Alamo. But on uh, April 21st, 1836, Dorman was in the youth group at his church. Then the Battle of San Jacinto happened. The Battle of San Jacinto was led by Sam Houston. They were fighting against Santa Ana's Mexican army. And that was the battle that really kind of freed Texas to independence uh, from from Mexico. Santa Ana had gone to the Alamo and there were about 5,000 men and had killed everyone there. And, and Santa Ana was kind of a bad dude. He had, they'd actually slaughtered a lot of people on the way uh, around Texas. And so at, at San Jacinto, the Texicans, as they were called, defeated the Hispanics, the Mexicans. And their battle cry was, remember the Alamo. Remember the Alamo. And I thought about that this evening, how that ties in. You know, I'm sure for them, remembering how people they knew were slaughtered and how that, that needed to be righted, but also maybe thinking, you know what? If we don't win today, we may be slaughtered too. 
and how remembering that event may have been a motivator for them to go out and, and get the victory that day. I want to tell you, if you and I will keep in our minds the things we've talked about tonight, these three things, remember to keep your mind where it needs to be. Remember to be God-saturated. And remember, you're going to be attacked. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised. Remember these things. It will help us. You're a Christian tonight. Where are you in these things? What do you need to do? Do you need to get your heart right with Christ? Is there some repentance that needs to happen? Maybe you would like to come and pray with a minister or pray at the altar. You do that tonight. Maybe you'd like to join our church. We'd love for you to. And one way you can do that, you can do it afterwards, or you can come when we stand and you can join us. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Christ. What a great night to come and cross that line with Jesus. Let's stand. God's leading you this evening. You come.